Over the last uh, few months, we have spent our times together on Sunday mornings talking through what it means to be a hospitable church and what it means to create a generous culture. And, and we've done this because showing hospitality and, and living generously is really the starting point of how we live into our identity as a church, how we live into our vision as a church. Our our vision as a church is to invite all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service. And that often starts with hospitality, with how we welcome people, how we interact with them, both here when we're at WPC, but also when we're at home. And being generous goes hand in hand with how we show hospitality to others. Before we dive into our our second scripture, I want to invite you uh, to think about your childhood just for a moment. Think of the first person you remember being generous to you. The first person you remember being generous to you. I'm going to actually invite you to do something a little different. You can turn to the person sitting next to you. Introverts love when we do this. You can turn to the person sitting next to you and, and, and think of the person, the first person you remember showing you generosity. Take 30 seconds and go. Who is the first person? Alrighty, just a quick show of hands. How many of you was that your parent? Was that a parent? How many of that was it a sibling maybe? Siblings don't always like to share. I get that. Uh, how many, how many of you, it was a grandparent? What about a neighbor? A neighbor. So when we think of those people, I invite us to think, what, what makes that person generous? Were they, were they just generous to you personally? Or, or did you witness them being generous to other people as well? There was a, a study done about five years ago by researchers from UC Berkeley about the science of generosity and specifically how it relates to, to children. And one of their findings was that humans are wired from a young age to share and to show empathy. But as we grow older, we become more selective with when and with whom we share that generosity. So as we move from from being an infant into a toddler and to to a little bit older, we become more and more selective with, with who we are generous with. Yet, the study also found that when children are surrounded by generous adults, that selectivity is delayed. It doesn't come until later and later in life. The first person who who I kind of think of when it comes to generosity, who taught me about it, was was my Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave would would show up with with the best presents. And and when I was young, that's what generosity was about, right? And, and And my uncle didn't have kids of his own, and so he would show up with the presents that were the loudest, and the brightest, all the sort of presents that you get a nephew when you know that your sister can't get you back. <laughs> that, that was how, how I kind of began. But it wasn't just with presents. Every birthday he would send us a card. He never forgot our birthdays. And, and that birthday would always, that card would always have one stick of gum in it. 
And it didn't stop as I grew up, as I got older. Whenever we would go out for a meal together, he would, one, never let me pay, and then he'd leave a tip that was equal to or greater than the expense of the meal itself. At some point in early childhood, I figured it out. Uncle Dave was incredibly frugal when it came to expenses on himself. Incredibly frugal when it came to spending on anything for himself. But when it came to giving generously to others, he, he, he did so freely. And it was because of his profession. It's because of his profession. He asked me to take this photo as a joke as a joke at a hotel in Jericho when we were on a trip together to the Holy Land, which, of course, was a gift from my uncle to me. He spent his entire career in the hospitality industry, and at one point he was the longest-tenured Hyatt employee in the nation. And he spent it all by choice as a bellman. Every time he was offered to, to, uh, uh, a promotion or something, he would always say, no, 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 I, I want to serve people. I want to be with people. Many of you know that my, my uncle passed away last year and it was, was hard for me. But in that last year, I've not been able to go out to dinner or to stay at a hotel without feeling that extra push, that extra push to be generous. And my guess is, if you are to think of the person who modeled generosity for you, when you think of that person, you feel something similar. Oh yeah, they did that for me. I, I should probably figure out how to do that for others. This morning's second passage comes from Acts chapter 2, and it's a passage that's, that's pretty familiar to most of us. Jesus' first followers had been through a series of events that left them asking the same question over and over again. And it's a question that we in the church should be asking today, and we often find ourselves asking today. And that question is, well, what do we do now? Jesus dies on the cross. Well, what do we do now? He's resurrected. Well, what do we do now? He ascends to heaven. Your chance. Welp. Awesome. They wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, kind of. They get antsy and they make a decision on their own. And it doesn't go too well. And then they're left asking that same question. What do we do now? And finally, after the Holy Spirit comes, that moment at Pentecost, and Peter preaches to a bunch of people explaining what, what, what had happened, they get that answer of what do we do now? They, they answer that question like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and professions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They answer that, whelp, what do we do now question with generosity. 
They didn't know exactly how it was all going to look. It wasn't like they had a, a formulated plan of exactly what was coming next, but they leaned into God. They listened. And eventually they found that every person in their community had an important role to play. Uh, I'm thrilled that Mackie is with us this morning to share about Haiti Healthcare Partners um, and what's happening in a, a time where people can't travel there. I'll let her talk about that. Uh, some of us got together and spent some time yesterday, and you said something that caught my attention. And I hope I'm not steering, stealing your thunder. And you said the people of Sheridan are in need, but they're not needy. They're in need, but they're not needy. And I couldn't help but think of uh, what Haley, my wife, and I experienced our first Sunday at the church that we served in Malawi. I've, I've shared this story with some of you before. Uh, we were brought into the front of the church, jet-lagged and exhausted, and we were sat down in the front of the church. We were welcomed with a few words. We were encouraged by a few other local pastors, and then the music started. And every member of the church stood up, and they got up in the aisle, and they started dancing down the aisle. They were bringing gifts, food, clothing, supplies for our house, even money. It was incredibly uncomfortable. It was incredibly uncomfortable. I remember thinking, we don't deserve this. We're in one of the ten poorest countries in the world, and we are being showered with generosity. People in need, but not needy. We learned a lot about generosity that year. People in the community where we lived shared with one another and I don't remember ever hearing complaints. They, they took that whole cheerful giving thing that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Literally, they did it. And I have to think that there's a lot that our churches in the U.S. could learn from our friends in Malawi and in Haiti when it comes to generosity. The church that's described in Acts has four devotions or, or marks of generosity. Another way to put it is they, they had four areas where they gave their complete attention, their full commitment. And it starts with the apostles' teaching. Now, whenever this passage is discussed, a, a question comes up as, well, what exactly did the apostles teach? What, what was being taught? And later in Acts, we read that the leaders of the early church, they really grounded everything they taught in, in two simple principles. One, Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Simple principle. Jesus is the Messiah. And two, through him, resurrection is possible. So when we hear they grounded themselves in the apostles' teaching, we, we think, okay, okay, they grounded themselves in the idea that Jesus is Lord and that through him, resurrection is possible. The apostles recognized that if the church wasn't committed to those two truths, other worldviews would sneak in and begin to shape who they were as a community. It was a commitment to keep Christ primary in all that they did. And it's just as important today as it was then. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship of believers, to journeying with one another. 
Some have argued that the real miracle that, that happened in Pentecost is that it brought together people from different nations and different backgrounds as one united body of believers. The word that Luke uses for fellowship, it paints a picture of an invested partnership, an invested partnership where every individual person was impacted by the deeds or the acts of others. And when something wasn't done by someone else, the whole community felt that sting. And it makes me think of what happens in my house, what's happening in my house this weekend with my family. When just one of the five of us is off, which happens in a household of five, the entire family feels it. Our entire family feels it. And when we're all clicking, and when we're all helping each other out and doing our part, the, the impact extends beyond just our neighbor, or beyond just our household into our neighborhoods. Our kids' friends feel it. Our, our, our neighbors know it. We're able to give people rides and help out be, because we're clicking together. Being devoted to fellowship, to partnering with each other, helps the church to be a community that has an impact beyond itself. They committed to the regular breaking of bread. Now, gathering around the table and breaking bread, it's a, a visible expression of what the Holy Spirit is doing in a community. And inviting others to join in that table, around that table, it's an act of generosity. The Gospel of Luke lists at least ten separate times where Jesus, Jesus sits down and shares a meal with someone. And it's during those times that significant conversations take place. He breaks social norms, eats with the people nobody else thought that he should eat with. He debates with the religious elite. He institutes the Lord's Supper all around a table. So table hospitality and generosity go hand in hand. So what does it look like for us to be more generous with our tables. Lastly, they were devoted to prayer. Whenever we commit ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, to common life, and to breaking bread, but reject prayer, we forget our place. And I don't think we intentionally say, you know what, all those top three things, they're great, but I'm, I'm not, prayer's not important. But when we forget to pray, we forget that we're dependent on God for all that we have, and we forget how much God has really given us. We're called to be devoted to these four areas, but I'm, I'm guess, guessing that for each of us, being committed in some areas comes easier than others. And that's where we need to lean into one another. Now, as a pastor, I spend a, a decent amount of time talking with, with other pastors, and we talk about the challenges that the church t faces today and, and, and the difficulties of finding a, a vision for the church. And one of the themes that constantly comes up in those conversations is how do we create metrics for a healthy church? What are the metrics for a healthy church in the 21st century? I mean, I, I could have you turn and talk to one another like we did earlier, and you'd all come up with different metrics, right? So, so what, what are the metrics for a healthy church in the 21st century? And the result of the Acts church, the result of their, their four devotions, of their four commitments, they give us 
tangible metrics. This is what happens because of the way that they committed to these things. They were, they were filled with awe. They were filled with awe. You'd walk into the church and you could see that God was up to something. They experienced what it looked like to live as a true community together. Going as far as, as selling what they had just to take care of one another. That the community that they experienced, everybody looked at and said, Wow, I can see that everybody that belongs to that church is taken care of. Wow. Often we read this part of the church's story, we, when we do, we miss a line in verse 47, where Luke writes that they had the good will or favor for all people or with all people, which means not only were the people in the church filled with awe, in a way that was noticeable. Not only was everybody taken care of in the church community, but because of that, the rest of the community in Jerusalem, beyond the walls, looked at the church and they said, wow, they're adding value. They're adding value to our world. What does that look like for us today? And fourth. There was something contagious about the way they lived and the way that they shared and the way that they took care of each other. So people hopped on board with what they were doing and they grew. Living generously has tangible results. Think back to that person who first modeled generosity for you. You likely live differently today because of the example that they set, however many years ago it was. And now, we have the opportunity as a church to model generosity to others. May we take that opportunity seriously as we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to journeying together, to to fellowshipping with one another, to breaking bread, and to praying without ceasing. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to to journey together, for the opportunity to be a community that shares with one another, that breaks bread together, that's generous with one another in a way that the outside world looks and says, wow, they matter. They make a difference in our world. Lord, we ask that you continue to encourage us to be a people following after your heart. We pray these things in your name. Amen.